Daily Gazette Company presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Sports Editor, Ken Shot. Thank you, Scott Geezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available wherever you get your podcast. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from Margaritaville. Yes, we're moving the podcast from Schenectady, New York to Mark Margaritaville. To honor the late Jimmy Buffett, who passed away last weekend at the age of 76. And what a career. What a musical uh, legacy he had. Obviously, Margaritaville, it turned out a big, big uh, franchise for him. Uh, but he had some other great songs like Come Monday, uh, Cheeseburger in Paradise. Uh, I want to try some sneak some songs in uh, during this podcast. I hope nobody uh, complains about it. I don't think you will, but uh, we'll have some fun with that as well. Well, speaking of the podcast, uh, we have another great show for you. Uh, Mike McAdam will join me to wrap up the Saratoga season on his At the Track with Max segment. We'll talk to our friend Dennis Wazak Jr. of the Associated Press. We'll preview probably the most interesting team in the NFL, the New York Jets, and, of course, Aaron Rodgers, now their quarterback. And our good friend Freddie Coleman from ESPN Radio will come on, and he'll talk about his new show that he has on ESPN Radio. He's now uh, in the drive time, uh, 3 to 7 on ESPN Radio. And we'll discuss the NFL and some other sporting uh, news as well. So let's take a break, and uh, Mike McGadden will join me as we wrap up the Saratoga horse racing season with At The Track with Mac. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. Heading up to San Francisco For the Labor Day weekend show I got my hush puppies on I guess I never was meant for glitter rock and roll And honey, I didn't know that I'd be missing you so Come Monday It'll be alright Come Monday I'll be holding you tight I spent four lonely days In a brown early haze And I just want you back by my side Hey Auto Racing fans The Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest is back Here's how to play Pick the top five finishers in the weekly NASCAR race and get a chance to win a $50 ShopRite gift card. To play, go to DailyGazette.com and click on the Auto Racing Contest banner. The Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest is run by the Advertising Department and not affiliated with the Sports Department. Want to get all the latest news from the Daily Gazette on your phone or tablet? We have an app for that. The Daily Gazette app allows you to read all the newspaper stories and columns from our dedicated team of journalists. The app is free. You can download the app from the Apple or Google app stores. This is Union College Baseball head coach John Muller. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette sports editor Ken Schott. Welcome back to the podcast and the Saratoga horse racing meet season is over and it was a, a very difficult one and uh, Mike McAdam joins us for our final at the track with Mac segment for the Saratoga racing season and Mac, uh, I, it was just an interesting meet, a lot of stuff happened, unfortunate stuff happened but uh, yeah, the meet ended Monday on a high note with as 54 to 1 Nutella fella won the hopeful and in the last of the 410 races for the meet Linda Rice wins with Lieutenant Mitchell to pull out a share of the trainers championship with Chad Brown I mean how much did Saratoga need that last week to really erase the stain of the especially in light of a couple of major horse deaths uh, you're never going to erase that, um, but we really needed a week like we had um, to finish out the meet. First of all, it was a 100% safe meet. Um, 
you know, nothing bad happened after uh, Travers Day. Um, and sad to say, like, even going into the closing day, I, I was just – I wasn't thinking as much about, okay, what are we going to see today as can we please just not have any horses break down, um, which, by the way, was um, – uh, there were eight total horse deaths due to racing-related in- incidents during the meet, and um, but two of them were really, really high-profile. And you know, usually you look at back at a meet and you say, "Well, this this was the signature moment of the meet," or "I'm going to remember this r- about this meet." Like for instance, the year American Pharaoh lost the Travers in 2015, or um, you know, there was a dead heat in the Travers one year. The pandemic obviously stands out for its own reasons with no fans on the grounds this one's always going to be remembered as the year that maple leaf mel broke down two steps from the wire in the test and uh, new york thunder broke down at the 16th pole when he was on the verge of winning the uh the alan jerkins on travers day and again it happens at every meet this year there were it was the number was a little higher than it usually is um but these were like two big like star horses it's happening to them in two really really big races on national tv and they had forty three thousand people there on whitney day for for when maple leaf mel broke down and they had forty eight thousand people on travers day when it happened in new york thunder um so sadly that's kind of gonna be the like the two signature moments that you're always going to remember from this meet which is too bad because you know archangelo is a great story uh winning the travers um they they have um tried to address this with certain measures the horse racing integrity and safety authority put in some extra uh veterinary uh protocols as far as examining horses um and we'll get into that a little later, some of the stuff they're looking at in the future. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, 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 I'm always going to remember this meet as the one where those two horses broke down in, in just catastrophic fashion in front of a lot of people. And, you know, um, I don't know if I mentioned this to you last week, but every year, inevitably, somebody asks me, are you ready for the meet to be over? And I've never answered yes to that question and and in this case somebody asked me the morning of the travers and uh my answer was well i'm ready for a day off (laughs) i'm not necessarily ready for the meet to be over and then by the end of the day i was like you know what i think i'm ready for the meet to be over after new york thunder broke down so um sadly that's kind of when when you think of 2023 those two moments are going to immediately come to mind and you know you don't want it to be that way but um but that's the case this year for sure and the significance of Linda Rice you know, tying Chad Brown, what does that mean? That was, like, really cool, um, especially because I went down and talked to Linda at her barn on Wednesday. been meaning to talk to her all meet because she's been having a great meet. She's been kind of, like, you know, flirting with first place in the, the trainer standings for the whole meet. And um, once, you know, we got to catch our breath after Travers Day, um, uh, you know, finally, I was like, well, I'm looking for stories for the final closing week of the meet. I was like, all right, what's well, about time I go talk to her? And she was really excited and pumped up about how she was doing at the meet. And she said it was unlikely that um, she was going to, uh, you know, catch Chad because Chad's got this powerhouse operation. He's got good horses. You know, he's going to unload his barn to make that final push for the trainer title, which he's won like whatever it is six times now 
in the last uh, however many eight or nine years, whatever it is. Um, now, Linda Rice won the training title back in 2009 with 20 winners. Uh, she and at that time she was battling uh, Todd Pletcher for first place in the trainer standings. And she wound up pulling it out by one. And back then, the meet was 36 days, not 40 like it is today. So 20 isn't wasn't that unusual of a number. But remember, she said, yeah, I remember that year. Neither of us won a single race on the final two days of the meet. So it just kind of like stuck in amber, <laughs> you know, the 20 to 19. And that's the way it stood out. But in this case, I mean, there were fireworks over the last couple of days. She had a big day on uh, – I think Saturday was well, she had three winners one of the days to get back within two. And then on closing day, she had what three winners, including the last race of the whole meet <laughs> to pull this thing out. And that was really cool. It was, um, she won the first race of the meet with Boston Bay on opening day. And then she wins the last race of the meet uh, with Lieutenant Mitchell to, to total 35 winners and you know, kind of pull out the buzzer beater in the trainer standing. She was really pumped up. I did not see Chad afterwards. I think he um, he wasn't too happy. Um, <laughs> uh, Naira caught up with him and got a quote with him eventually, but I, I did not see him at any point. And, you know, they hand out a trophy. In this case, the trainer standings, training, trainer championship is named after the late Hall of Famer Alan Jerkins. And so they have like a silver plate or something that they award. So they're, they're going to have to get two of them this year. Um but apparently he did come down to the winner's circle quickly after that race to get the photo taken. But I, I didn't see him. I mean, I ran downstairs as soon as the race was over to at least get Linda and hopefully him too. And I he van moosed out of there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but Linda was pretty pumped up. It was it was a pretty cool scene. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Archangelo, and I think that was he was the story of the meet. You have a female trainer in a male-dominated sport and industry-winning the Belmont Stakes and the Travers while being uh, the Kentucky Derby Preakness winners. And now Archangelo's got to be the top three-year-old in the male division. Uh, a fun part of the story is Javier Castellano being aboard for his record-setting uh, seventh uh, Travers victory. Yeah, that was awesome. Um, and, you know, it happened less than two hours after New York Thunder had broken down in the L and Jerkins and, you're, and you know, a rainbow came out and the whole bit, I mean... You just couldn't script it any more perfectly as far as the Travers outcome. Uh, Jenna Antonucci is just a terrific story. Very smaller operation. I think she has like 20 horses total. And one of them is this really cool gray horse, Archangelo, who we went to visit um, like right around the beginning of the meet. And, and uh, it, you know, it, we saw him all over the place. His son of Arrogate, who had won the trip, you know, broke the track record in winning the Travers back in whatever the heck year that was, six or seven years ago. Um, Javier Castellano, what a year he's having. He's got, he's in the conversation for, for an Eclipse Award right now, even though Irad Ortiz is, like, winning tons of graded stakes and, and probably has a big lead. I haven't checked the national standings as far as victories uh, for jockeys right now, but Javier Castellano won his first ever Kentucky Derby on Mage, Finishes third on Mage in the Preakness, gets on Archangelo, wins the Belmont on him, wins the um, wins the Travers. So now Archangelo is the leader of the three-year-old male division, and uh, and for just for good measure, Javier also wins the Jockey Club Gold Cup on uh, 
on a bright future in a closing weekend. So a pretty good story between the trainer and Javier, you know, the owner, this guy, John Ebert of Blue Rose Farm. He, he's a single, like, solo owner of the horse. It's not one of these big syndications where there's a million people in the winter circle. It's just this guy. <laughs> it's <laughs> like the only good horse he owns. That, you know, um, after they won the Peter Pan, they were getting tons of phone calls, people trying to buy in, and he he's you know, stubbornly refused and said, "Nope, we're we're not selling shares in this horse." Everybody wanted a piece of piece of him, and their their ride just continues. And um, I haven't looked at the Breeders' Cup Classic rankings for this week. I don't know if they're out this week yet, but he's he's up there. I don't know if he's one or two or whatever it is, but he as a three year old, um, he'll he'll be one of the top ranked horses. Um, as far as horses that are pointing toward the Breeders' Cup Classic. So um, that, that was really a heartwarming moment. It was great for Jenna Antonucci. Sex with his second female trainer to um, saddle a Travers winner. Mary Hirsch did it with a horse named Thanksgiving in uh, 1939, I think it was. Wow. And there, there haven't been very many horses saddled by female trainers in the Travers, um, but she won it, and uh, good for her yeah. and their whole camp. Mike Vigadam joining us for his at the track uh, with Max segment here on the Party Shots podcast. Uh, the other dark cloud story of the meet, Mike, was the relentless rainy weather. Uh, 65 turf races uh, that were supposed to be were run on the turf were moved to the main track. And as a result, betting handle numbers took a significant hit, even as paid admission continued a steady progression of 1 million plus totals. Yeah, um, and uh, speaking of the rain and all the the races being rained off the turf, um, you know that that probably contributed to the trainer championship race. You know, Ch- Chad Brown is heavily <clears throat> his, his barn is uh, hev- heavily loaded with turf horses. So when those races get rained off. Um, you know, he, he loses the condition that he was expecting for a, a big portion of his barn. So I'm sure that had something to do with the trainer standings even being close going into the to the last day. But it really it wreaked a cat, a havoc on the whole meet. I mean, they only had 16 races rained off last Last year was like pretty much as close to perfect as you can get. And then you get the other extreme this year with all the 65 races. And what happens there is... <clears throat> You know, you're entering your horse 72 hours in advance, um, expecting it to run or, you know, wanting it to run on the grass. And then when it gets rained off, you have to make a decision. Am I still going to run on a muddy uh, dirt course at a similar distance, usually the same distance, or am I just going to scratch the horse? And, you know, a lot of times people just say, forget it. We're going to wait until we get the condition we're looking for for our horse. You know, some horses prefer running on the grass. Some prefer running on the dirt. And uh, if you have a grass horse and the the, the race gets rained off, you're, you know, you're going to lean toward, well, I'm not, I'm not running on that that's not what i you know that doesn't give us the best chance to win or, or do well um so it just it really really and it just never stopped um i think we're getting kind of a warm week this week with uh upper 80s you know pushing 90s we have not had weather like that at saratoga since like opening week we had like a two or three day stretch where it was in the 90s and it was pretty uncomfortable but since then it, you know temperature wise it's been pretty good but rain wise it was horrible um just wouldn't let up and the turf course has never got a chance to uh, um, to recover, um, and subsequently the handle was down. They, you know, after they they pulled eight hundred and seventy eight million dollars in 
all sources betting handle last year, after which uh, President and CEO Dave O'Rourke threw the B word out there and said, you know, if we keep this up and we keep our brand um, as a racing and wagering product, uh, you know, keep boosting that profile, it's not out of the question to to maybe hit a billion dollars in betting handle someday. Well, they went in the other direction this year because a little bit. They, it was like seven ninety nine, whatever. They just missed eight hundred million, which they had hit like the last two years. Um, and it's because you know short fields. People don't want to, you know, you, you, you handicap for a turf race and then all of a sudden you don't know if these horses that stay in the race that get rain, rained off onto the main track, if they're going to like the mud. You know, some of them have some form and some history and, and are okay with it. But, you know, it's a big question mark. It's short field. You know, the races that get a, a large betting handle are the ones with, a, you know, big full fields and evenly matched and where it's hard to form an opinion. There is no clear-cut favor, favorite. And uh, so when this happens, it, you know, kind of changes the game and people aren't as inclined to bet. And uh, so that, that's reflected in the um, in the uh, the handle being down from the last two years. Then again, that the attendance, you know, Saratoga is a fun place to be, even if you don't want to bet on the horses or even watch the races. You know, there's so many things to do. You can have a picnic there. So for them to get 1.1 whatever million um, that's the eighth time in the last nine years. And, of course, the one year that they didn't hit a million in paid admission was the, um, you know, obviously the, the pandemic year when the fans weren't allowed on the ground. So, we obviously, we're not going to count that one. Uh, a couple memorable moments uh, from Saratoga this season. Yeah, um, you know, all the doom and gloom that you can't help talking about and you have to talk about, but man, it was there was some pretty cool stuff. I'll go back to the Kelso toward the beginning of the meet. One of the fun stories that I got to write this year was um, these two guys um, were hanging out on the fence near the paddock and uh, just, just, you know, busting their chops trying to figure out how to handicap can't handicap this race and Lee Einsidler, the owner of uh, Casa Creed's walking in and he sees these guys just grinding it out with their racing forms and he says hey guys I got the answer for you right here stop handicapping here's a hundred bucks for you and a hundred bucks for you just bet it to win on my horse Casa Creed these guys were like no we can't take your money they're two local guys two super guys <laughs> they're like no we can't take your money and he goes no your job is done here you do not have to you grind this out anymore just bet on my horse and they did and the horse won and they wound up you know my, by my calculation they each won 325 bucks um so it wasn't a life-changing uh, uh score for them <laughs> but it was just a really fun story got to see those guys were cheering for lee when he was accepting the trophy after the race and so i, I wound up talking to those guys that was fun um it was great to see ness win the shoe v uh by beating clarier which was big kind of one of the big you know almost like a boxing matchup you know tail of the tape kind of thing between the two best uh, older fillies and mares on the dirt in the country duking it out and nest uh you know had had a long layoff and then comes back and wins the shoe v over clarier so we're like okay now what's going to happen in the personal ensign which is the obvious race for those horses to come back in and they they ran in that and uh, uh brad cox's uh philly idiomatic wound up winning it and and is was not an upset either. So now that division is kind of up in the air. Um, so that was cool. Um, I go to Travers Day. Javier Castellano winning his seventh. Um, uh, Travers. Nobody else has 
more than four and of the guys there's there's four or five people that are tied with four Travers victories and the only one that isn't retired is Mike Smith and and he's like 52 years old so he I don't think he's winning anymore Travers so Javier just totally has that record locked up um on Travers Day itself we saw um you know the best sprinters in the country in male and female division on display and um gunite beating elite power was was a highlight for me in the forego um which which kind of reversed the the result from earlier in the meet in the alfred g vanderbilt um so two high-powered sprinters duking it out and gunite got the big one in the forego on travers day but echo zulu I, I don't know maybe she could even beat them the the philly uh she won the honorable miss and then beat goodnight olive who had won the Breeders' Cup sprint, uh, affiliate mare sprint last year. Um, she beat her by two and a half lengths in the ballerina on Travers Day. So so from a sprinter standpoint, Travers Day was just outstanding, you know, seeing the, the, the battle between Gunite and Elite Power, won by Gunite, and then Echo Zulu is just, like, out of control in the, in the affiliate mare sprint division. Um, so it was good to see, you know, kind of the stars show, you know, they're not – necessarily good betting races but you get to see like stars on display doing their thing so that's that's always fun and to wrap things up let's look ahead to the future mike uh, with uh naira uh considering some more safety measures including a look at uh, synthetic replaced dirt surfaces and all already having said that they want to run the 2025 belmont stakes at saratoga because of the ongoing reconstruction of belmont park they could actually happen next year yeah um We'll get to that. I'll mention the safety stuff first. Dave O'Rourke put out a statement and told, you know, it was reported by some some of the trades that they're looking at synthetic. Um, for the time being, I think it's a little bit of a, you know, it's easy for him to say that to, to make it sound like they're concerned about this because they are concerned about it. You know, they have to be. This is their game. This is their product. You know, this is their show. Um but from a logistical standpoint, I'm not seeing anything happening at Saratoga. And, you know, they are putting in a synthetic uh, training course. I think it'll be used for races, too, for races rained off the turf at Belmont Park. So they are doing it at Belmont Park. They'll have a turf, a synthetic, and, a, you know, the main dirt will remain. But as far as ripping up Saratoga, which they just did two years ago and just redid the whole drainage system and everything, I can't see them putting in a synthetic surface at saratoga anytime soon i mean they they they're they're looking at a 455 million dollar loan from new york state to do all the work at belmont so it's easy to talk a good game about putting it in synthetics and i'm, I'm not trying to pick on dave o'rourke but you know there's a movement across the country or at least at least the conversation has begun again about putting in more synthetic tracks and replacing the you know conventional dirt surfaces all across the country which they did like whatever it was 15 years ago and it didn't last long um you know someone's got to be the tip of the spear and i don't see anybody really making the first move to to convert to synthetics and, and from a safety standpoint the synthetic surfaces clearly um are more forgiving and you don't see nearly the numbers are pretty clear from when keeneland and the california tracks had synthetic that you, those front end, front leg breakdowns um, don't happen nearly as much, you know, like the, the ones that we saw on Travers Day with with uh, 
New York Thunder and, and Whitney Day with uh, Maple Leaf Mel. Those types of things don't happen as much. And those are the ones that really get in the spotlight of, you know, why people, you know, want to ban the sport. Um, now, they're, anecdotally, the synthetic surfaces do cause some different kinds of issues. Um, they're expensive to maintain. You have to keep replacing the material, which is made out of, like, you know, recycled car tires and rubber and stuff like that. Um, uh the breeders will resist it because they have generation after generation of um, pedigrees that are based on dirt form, and suddenly you, you throw synthetics into the mix. I've always said this is one of the biggest problems of this sport is it, it's been it, – they put the cart before the horse. The people – the breeders have too much influence. Like the, the horses are – they race to be bred instead of being bred to race, and by that I mean – you want to get a couple big stakes races early and then retire the horse early so that suddenly you have a horse with a really, you know, with a good res, not a long resume. You know, we saw this with Flightline when he was retired after six lifetime races um, or justified. He won the Triple Crown and then was retired and never ran again after the Belmont. You want to see, the, you know, it's bad for the sport when these horses don't have longer careers. You know, we saw Cody's Wish, who's a great story, who's um, ran Granite's got beaten the Whitney um, by White Abario. You know, you want to see horses like these, the, the good ones, to keep racing into their four and five year old season, but the breeders have too much influence and are too interested in retiring them early. Um, you know, if you put in synthetic tracks to get back, you know, not to get wander too far off topic here, um, the, the breeders are leery of putting in synthetics because now you don't you don't know who has what value you don't know who's going to run well on it because there's no history or form on it um but anyway there's a couple other things they're looking at like pet scans they're looking at more diagnostic stuff pre-race to see if the horses have pre-existing conditions that you can maybe identify with maybe more refined testing um they're looking at things like that which is expensive but you know i the more stuff they can do like that, they should, obviously. Um, I, I will say in the case of New York Thunder, um, this horse had an intra-articular injection of a corticosteroid uh, 14 days before running in the Allen Jerkins. And part of what we already mentioned, the Horse Racing Integrity and Safety Authority, one of the things they're trying to do is get uniform rules across North America and one of them that hasn't changed yet and needs to is the the threshold of how many days prior to a race or a published workout timed workout that a horse gets an intraarticular injection of a corticosteroid which is like getting a cortisone shot in your heel if you're you know a runner and you're you have heel pain or something and it can mask uh you know some some of the issues that are causing these breakdowns so for instance at woodbine in toronto um you can you can race six days after one of these injections in new york the rule is 14 days california is sort of the model it's 30 days out there and that's what it should be all across the board so until that rule changes you're going to see issues like new york thunder the new york times did a big story and, and got a leak from somebody who, who knew the vet records and things like that that indicated that this horse had had one of these in injections in his lower leg 14 days out and then he breaks down on on uh 
on Travers Day. So if we can get the 30-day rule implemented that they have in California, I think that'll do a lot to eliminate some of this stuff. So so out of necessity, they're, they're looking at these types of things. As far as the Belmont um, being held at Saratoga, I mean, I think it's definitely going to happen in 2025. What Dave O'Rourke said the other day was that um, if they can get demolition of, of the Belmont Park grandstand and everything on keep it on schedule and get it done by the winter time. They're not going to have a grandstand by next June to hold the Belmont there. So um, that means they're they're going to look take a hard look at running it at Saratoga up here um, next year. I, I'm convinced it's definitely going to happen in 2025, which will be amazing. Um, but it's kind of sounding like. It, there's a good chance it's going to happen next year too. Um, I, I think he said, like within a month or a month and a half, they'll know they'll have a timetable, like a more concrete grasp of, uh, you know, what the progress is and, and what the schedule is with the demolition of Belmont Park, and then they'll make a decision. So um, we could hear some pre- hear something pretty soon, and you know. Having the Belmont up here, I, I'm not even going to get into what a, a spectacle that would be. It, w- it would be amazing um you know we still have the the preakness news lingering out there that yeah. they're thinking about moving that back two weeks so i don't know what if that's going to happen or or what um what impact that would have on the scheduling of the belmont that's a whole other kettle of fish um so we'll see what happens there but um we might have the belmont up here next june which would be nuts <laughs> So, well, Max, it was a lot of fun, and uh, you know, you know, like I said, it was a tough meet to cover. It was, and uh, hopefully next year things will be better. Yeah, well, I mean, they're talking about a lot of things, and hopefully it's not just all talk. Um, you know, as far as the synthetic, I'll believe that when I see it. But some of the pre-race diagnostic stuff, if they can put that in, uh, you know, that that'll have some impact on some of these issues, and hopefully they'll do that. Mac, appreciate all your insight during the meet, and uh, we'll next time we'll probably talk horse racing as a Breeders' Cup. And probably will. It's San Anita, November 3rd and 4th, so get ready for it. Thanks for having me on, Jen. All right, thanks. That's Mike McAdam coming up. We're going to talk to Dennis Wozak, Jr. of the Associated Press. We'll preview the New York Jets and the NFL. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. As the son of a son of a sailor, I went out on the sea for adventure. Expanding the view of the captain and crew Like a man just released from indenture As a dreamer of dreams and a traveling man I have chalked up many a mile Read dozens of books about heroes and crooks And I learned much from both of their styles Son of a son, son of a son Son of a son of a sailor Son of a god Load the last time One step ahead of the jailer Meet Andrew Waite. He's a dedicated journalist with a passion for research and a commitment to getting all sides of the story. Whether it's a local issue or an upstate trend, I do the stories and interviews that shed light on what's important to you. Stay informed. Read Andrew Waite in the Daily Gazette. It's my job to offer commentary about what's happening in our community and what it means to our readers. The Gazette, reporting based on accuracy and integrity. It's who we are. It's what we do. Hey, everybody. This is Don Barnes from 38 Special. 
And you're always rocking into the night when you're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette sports editor Ken Schott. Hold on loosely, Ken. Just don't ever let go. Welcome back to the podcast. The most interesting team this season in the NFL may not be the Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs or the NFC champion Philadelphia Eagles. It's going to be the New York Jets with a new quarterback at Aaron Rodgers. And uh, the man will be uh, covering the Jets for the Associated Press along with Pro Football. And noted headbanger is Dennis Wozniak Jr. Dennis, uh, welcome to the podcast. And uh, you were busy not only covering Jets, but taking in some uh, heavy metal concerts with the Metallica and Guns and Roses at the MetLife Center. Do you still have your hearing? Yeah. <laughs> What'd you say? What? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it was a pretty cool summer. Uh, you know, I didn't anticipate uh, doing the, all of that. I, I had planned to do Metallica back in November of last year or so that i had planned and you know just a cool setup where they had two different set lists two different groups of openers and and all that at metlife stadium so i'm like all right i'm there and then guns and roses was just kind of a spur of the moment kind of thing and the the ticket prices were pretty good and so that was pretty cool and then uh, i also saw one of my favorite bands Uh, actually a quick real quick story ken one of my favorite bands is godsmack they're you know it's kind of a like a not new metal, but post grunge rock band um, went down to Camden to see them, um, and right five minutes before they were supposed to go on, the a storm kind of came in and they weren't able to do their show, so that got rescheduled. So I still have another concert to go to in October, so I'll be ready for that. My hearing will be restored. Also, I mean, I, I saw on your Facebook page you uh, were in my old stomping grounds of South Central Pennsylvania visiting uh, Hershey and Lancaster. Get over to uh, my old town of York at all. I, I haven't been there, but yeah, we, uh, we, we, the kids, the last time we had been there, my kids were really small so and young, so they wanted to go back. And we're like, okay, let's do it. So, so yeah, so we, we didn't do too many crazy things this summer, but we were able to get away a little bit and, uh, see some of the uh more local areas and amish and hershey and 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 went down to ocean city new jersey so it was a nice summer and now everything's about to get crazy again so yeah here we go yeah i I went to college and later worked at the york daily record uh, down there and covered the hershey bears for five years so i'm surprised you didn't visit the uh, ken shot museum of journalism there in new york (laughs) (laughs) next summer that's on the list put it on the list (laughs) all right let's talk some nfl action as i mentioned in the open Aaron Rodgers, I know we talked, I know we did end up doing two tapings of one podcast for the Aaron Rodgers situation. That Now, that, how's he looked in training camp? Yeah, you know, he, he's done and said all the right things so far. I, I think it's been one of those situations where you weren't sure exactly what this was going to look like coming in uh, because there was a lot of speculation leading up to the Jets trade for Aaron Rodgers. Does he really want to play? Is he all in? And from everything he's said and done and everybody that you speak to, um, he's he's not only all in, he, he's just motivated and fired up. Um, and, and you can almost understand it. You know, here's a guy who was uh, just a, a, really a legend in Green Bay. He accomplished all that he did. He won, won a Super Bowl. It, it's been a while now over there, but still he's held up, you know, on that pedestal there. And to leave that kind of area and and to come to a new spot, I mean, that, that's a lot for even a guy who's accomplished what he has. 
but I think the way things ended in Green Bay, uh, and he even talked about how he thought he would be retired when he went into that darkness retreat. And when he came out and he heard some of the things that were going on, it kind of uh, re-motivated him to, to kind of, you know what, I, I still want to play and I want to go somewhere to, to, to win. And um, I, he sees the talent on this Jets team. He sees some of these young players who he's taken under his wing. And, and some of the things that he's done, you just see it. Where he took the pay cut, restructured his contract so that it wouldn't be just a one and done and where the Jets would be killed on the salary cap next year. He, he, he's got clearly he's got a plan to play beyond the season and maybe even beyond next season. Uh, he always says, you know, it, it depends on how his body feels. And, you know, if this, if this season is special, we'll see, you know, and that means if the Jets win the Super Bowl in his first year, maybe he kind of, you know, changes some, some of his plans, but all of that stuff, it, it's just, he's shown that he wants to be here. And I think that's why the vibe in the building on the field and the fan base is just something that you haven't seen in a long time knowing the jets i mean sometimes the expectations are out of control with this team uh what are the expectations i mean the fans i mean you mentioned fans they seem excited but is it over the top excitement i think there is a little bit of over the top excitement um I, i think it's hard to say a team can be a Super Bowl contender when they haven't been to the playoffs in 12 years, you know, and they have the, the NFL's longest playoff drought. To go from that to Super Bowl contenders seems unrealistic. But when you look at the talent on this team, you think if Aaron Rodgers is, all right, maybe not the 2021 version of, uh, of Aaron Rodgers, but maybe, you know, something close to that, he's got – Garrett Wilson and now Dalvin Cook and Brees Hall and and two good tight ends and the defense that should keep them in every game no matter who they're playing and I think that combination it makes you think that okay this team can not only just make the playoffs but make a deep run into the playoffs and I think there's there's enough young pieces that that maybe they might not be ready to be real Super Bowl contenders. And plus, hey, Buffalo's still in the AFC East. So until until the Jets knock them off, I'm, I'm not crowning them AFC East champions yet. You know, and so there's a road. It's going to be tough in those first six games on its schedule. I think we've talked about even before that it's, it's going to be a big test. So I think you need to kind of temper the expectations. But I think this the optimism is something that is unlike what we usually see from the Jets and, and the Jets fan base. I think Aaron Rodgers' presence has created that sense of hope and optimism. And that alone just kind of, kind of injected energy into this whole season. And, I mean, when was the last time you heard Jet fans saying, like, oh, we, we, could, we could get there this year? It's been a long time. So that's kind of what it is. I think you have to temper those a little bit. But I, I, I really do think the expectations are, and Aaron Rodgers thinks this too, you get to the playoffs and you make at least a, a pretty good run through the playoffs. That means winning at least one game, maybe two. How much pressure is on head coach Robert Sala? That's a good question because I think that's kind of been overlooked because the focus has been so much on Aaron Rodgers. I think Robert Sala does have some pressure here because he's the guy 
in charge here. Um, some people have joked after watching Hard Knocks that it really is Aaron Rodgers who's in charge, but you know, Robert Sala is really the coach here, and and he's he's got that pressure. He's got to he's got to get both the offense and defense to be playing at a high level where they are playoff contenders. That they are playing for something. Um, deep into you know January and or, or at least having that possibility so I think I mean if the Jets fail that's where the first fingers will point like at the coaching staff so um, there is pressure and I, I think he's he's kind of acknowledged that he says there's pressure every year but I think there's something different because of the expectations um, last year the Jets weren't really expected to do too much that maybe contend and it was a surprise when they got off to that pretty good start and then you know they lost six in a row to end the season I was like okay you know maybe the coaching well now you you bring in an Aaron Rodgers well it, like the stakes are higher now um Dalvin Cook, you mentioned him. Uh, how much his acquisition there? I mean, Jets didn't have to give up anything. Just uh, so, how much of a benefit and a plus is he to to the team? Yeah, I think when you look at that backfield, so you have Dalvin Cook, Brees Hall, Michael Carter, and the uh, rookie Izzy Abanaconda. I think you have four guys who can all do different things have different skill sets. They all can kind of catch the ball out of the backfield and, and make plays, but they, they have different styles. So I think all of that will help with that offense. Aaron Rodgers knows he's going to have a mix-and-match group of backs that can make plays out, you know, behind him. Um, I think it also helps that you don't have to push Brees Hall into being a bell cow as he was last year before he got hurt. Um, he's still working his way back from the knee injury, but he's looked good. But that's how you, you want him to keep looking good and kind of keep going up on that upward trajectory as we go into, into the season. And having Dalvin Cook, now he's coming off of offseason shoulder surgery and hasn't even practiced with the Jets yet. It's just the other day he did some uh, some some drills and he went through. So, so that they're really waiting to see what they have in him too. But because of those two factors, okay, you don't have to use either of them 15 to 20 carries a game, not at first. I think as the season goes along, whoever is stronger and is playing better, they'll be able to do that, and they won't miss a beat because they have such a mix-and-match group of guys. So you added Dalvin Cook with his history, four 1,000-yard seasons, four Pro Bowls. I mean, that, that should only make you better. And you, you pair him with Brees Hall, That that's – if both are healthy, that's a dynamic backfield. Yeah. Um, in looking at the Jets capsule on the Associated Press, and I'm assuming you may have written this, uh, yes. the weaknesses, <laughs> offensive line, how, why do you say it's weak? I think when you have to pick out a weakness on the Jets, it's, it's that. And it's not necessarily that that they're a bad line. It's that there are so many questions on the line right now going into the season. Dwayne Brown is coming off of off-season shoulder surgery. 
He just got back to practice. You have uh, Lincoln Tomlinson at left guard who is coming off of a down season. Will he bounce back? Connor McGovern at center is a guy who's a veteran. He's solid, not spectacular, but he uh, was in a competition with rookie Joe Titman going into training camp. Um, he's got some. He's got some pluses. He's a good leader. Uh, he had some lapses in his play last year as well. Right guard, you have Elijah Vera Tucker, who is probably the best player on that line. He's coming off of, uh, uh, I think it was a triceps uh, surgery. It's all blending in now at this point, or pectoral maybe, something. But, but he's back, but he's so versatile that he could bounce around. There was talk even before uh, Brown got back and Makai Becton, who won the right tackle job that maybe Vera Tucker could move there. So, and speaking of Becton, he's never played in a regular season game at right tackle and he's coming off of missing basically two years with knee injuries. So um, there are things that have to happen for that group to be good on paper with all things, you know, equal. It's like, Oh, that those guys are veterans. They got a lot of good talent, but can they hold up? That'll be the question. Can these guys get through a season together and play consistently? Because a big part of what went wrong last year with the Jets, you know, beside the fact that Zach Wilson struggled and they had Mike White in there and Joe Flacco, was the offensive line was not consistent and they dealt with so many injuries that they couldn't just keep up. So it it was like Zach Wilson had a split second at times to to get the ball off. That's not going to fly with Aaron Rodgers. He's he's not going to like that. So we're going to have to see if that offensive line can can really – get together as a, a five a, a group of five over the next week going into that opening day. Aaron Rodgers showing his disdain for a receiver dropping a ball. Uh, that's shocking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's uh, if you've watched Hard Knocks, you saw he's, he's talked about trying to be patient and staying patient but you know he he asks a lot of his receivers. He wants guys to be where they're supposed to be. So when he throws the ball, he he's as we know historically he's tremendous as far as accuracy and turnovers. He's I think he's got the lowest interception rate um, in, in as far as accuracy and all of that in league history. So like that's something that he's proud of and he wants his guys to be where they're supposed to be at all times yeah you mentioned hard knocks has that been much of a distraction no i don't think so i think it was i was covering the team in 2010 when it was rex ryan and the snacks uh uh hard knock season and it seemed more uh just kind of you you were more aware of the cameras then i think there were so many cameras around now anyway everybody's there all the time uh the jets have their own in-house production crew one jets drive that they they're always around so you see cameras and i don't think you really even notice them much i was talking to one of the players yesterday about that very thing and and ask him, you know, hey, you know, have you noticed? And they're like, no, sometimes you kind of know when you're talking and all of a sudden you see the boom mic come into the, the middle of, like, the group that you're talking with. And you're like, all right, I, I got to keep this PG rated, you know, because HBO won't bleep out the R-rated stuff. Yeah. So um, we, we got to kind of watch what we, we say there. But I, I think for the most part it hasn't been that big a distraction, uh, especially from, from the media side. Like, that, I don't – 
I, I, you barely notice them. Yeah. Looking at this AFC East, um, you have the Bills winning, Jets finishing second, Dolphins third, and Patriots finishing last. But, I mean, the Dolphins made the playoffs last, last year, and uh, this division seems could be what, one of the toughest in, in the NFL this season. Oh, definitely. And that's why all of those those divisional games will be fun to watch because they they know week to week what's at stake. And all the coaches that you talk to, they talk about how divisional games count twice because you know, the, the win-loss and, and, and all of that stuff. And, and they put a lot of emphasis on winning the divisional game. So, I mean, right off the bat, Buffalo and the Jets – they want to win that game, obviously, if they want to win. But like that's that will tell us a lot about both teams and, and uh, moving forward. And I, I think all through the season, even the Patriots, who, like you said, I picked last, and that defense is solid. Um, if they get decent play from Mac Jones, they could win a few games too. And they added uh, Juju Smith-Schuster and Ezekiel Elliott. And so they... They have some weapons, too, on that offense. So it should be fun in the AFC East, and, and, and nothing's a given. you know. And, and even with the Jets, when you look at those first six games, you say the, probably the most winnable game of those six is New England. And the Jets haven't beaten New England in forever. So it's like, you know, is that really the case? So it'll, it'll be fun, and it'll be, it'll be stressful for all of those fans every time it's a divisional game this season. Do you think Bill Belichick calls it a career after this season? He's been around for such a long time. And that's a good question because I thought, you know, maybe he would have done that already, um, especially with, with Brady gone and that. But it's almost like he was trying to prove a point. Uh, but, yeah, it's that's that's a good question. I, I Who knows what Bill Belichick is going to do, you know, right? I mean, we, we just – you can predict with him, but he's always unpredictable. But he did build, bring uh, Bill O'Brien in as the offensive coordinator, but really to, to kind of get Mac Jones back on track. So, I, I mean, if they can – if they finish last this year, I, it's, hard to, it's hard to imagine him going out on a last-place finish. But, you know, maybe maybe the time would be then. I, I I don't know, but I, I do think there's a clear shift in power, and Buffalo has won the last three divisions, and but New England's always in the mix, you know. So like that's why he's so such a great coach. Yeah, even when he looks like he lacks the talent, he, he gets things out of these guys that where they're in the, the playoff mix until you know maybe later in the season. So I don't know. I think that'll be a good storyline to look at, especially as we get into like December. What does Buffalo have to do to avoid another playoff flop? I mean, they have to go from the AFC Championship loss to a divisional loss, and yeah, who, what's next? Yeah, it's it's uh, that's been that's been tough. Like to be a Bills fan, you know, with all of the the Super Bowl appearances, but the losses, and then now you have a team that is clearly a dominant type team, but now they're not even considered uh, Super Bowl favorites. You know, you look at teams like. Kansas City, obviously, and Cincinnati, and those are the teams that have been able to beat Buffalo in the playoffs the past few years. So, um, I think that's what it is. They need to, they need to step up. Josh Allen needs to step up in the playoffs, and and the guys around him. I, I think that's that's the key. And I just you have to feel for some of the Bills fans because they know 
that this team is as good as any in the AFC, but they, they just haven't been able to get over the hump the past few years. And it doesn't help that you have the best player arguably right now in the NFL and Patrick Mahomes just like playing out of his mind over the last couple of years. And so, um, yeah, it's, if, if they could get somebody, if, if they can't knock off the chiefs, if somebody else can knock off the chiefs, before they have to play them, then I, I guess that would be a good scenario for them. And, of course, the Dolphins, uh, as we said, made the playoffs last year, but the, the, Tua's health has got to be an issue going into the season. I mean, they, they mishandled that last year. I mean, how important is it for him to stay healthy? Yeah, and that's the thing. You you feel for him, too, right? He was coming um, into his own last year. He was having a really good year, and then it, with the concussions and – you just have to be worried if you're the, the Dolphins first for his health and safety. Um, and, you know, you see these guys when they get a concussion or two, it doesn't take much to get another one. So you wonder, you know, if he takes a bad hit or a big hit, then, you know, what are they going to do with, with two at quarterback and, and that kind of thing? So, um, yeah, that, that's, that's a really – touchy situation i know Tua has talked about how he took up jujitsu in the offseason to help him uh basically hit the ground better of all things you know how how he can instead of just slamming to the ground how to learn how to roll and how to to kind of uh ease those falls and that's interesting when you think about it because you know these guys get hit and they just get plowed and if he can find a way so that he really protects his head from hitting the turf like that can help too so um yeah that'll be something that every time he takes a hit everybody will be holding their breath for a split second just to make sure so that i think that's what the dolphins are looking at that's you know that really is a, a concern well get on the way for the jets on monday night uh, against the buffalo bills that'll be on uh, abc espn family of networks and Dennis will be there. Dennis, appreciate a few minutes, and uh, rock on, my friend. You got it, my man. Uh, always a pleasure. I appreciate it. It should be fun. Yep, that's Dennis Wozniak, Jr., the Associated Press. Uh, Freddie Coleman of ESPN Radio joins me next. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. Are you an enthusiastic sports fan? Want to have fun and get in on the action? Heck yes, that'd be awesome. Have great attention to detail? Want to stay active? Definitely. Want to give back to the student-athletes in your community? Obviously, yes. Then you'd make an excellent high school sports official. We need more officials in New York, because with no high school officials, there are no high school sports. Sign up today at highschoolofficials.com. Hi, this is Daily Gazette reporter Natasha Von Holdridge. You're listening to the Party Shots podcast with Daily Gazette sports editor Ken Shaw. Welcome back to the podcast. My next guest was the co-host of Freddie and Fitzsimmons for eight years on ESPN Radio. He's now hosting an afternoon drive time show with Harry Douglas from 3 to 7 p.m. called Freddie and Harry. Please welcome back to the podcast Freddie Coleman. Freddie, my brother, how are you? I am doing well. How's everything going with you, Ken? Everything's been good. Busy summer and all that fun stuff. Uh, getting ready for the the fall sports season and high schools and uh, Union College hockey and Santa basketball. You all basketball, so it's a busy time. Yeah, 
Yeah, no doubt about that. And you're right. Anytime you get closer and closer to football season, it doesn't matter if it's high school, doesn't matter if it's college or the NFL. And you're right, especially when so many sports happen up in the grand neck of the woods of the Capital District. It's always a fun time with the kids being back in school and everybody getting organized for the fall, even though summer is not over yet. Yeah. Well, as I mentioned, the open, uh, you're switching uh, shifts uh, at ESPN Radio. Uh, how excited are you with, with for, for the uh, new uh, new gig with Harry D- Douglas? I'm extremely excited, and it's really weird because Ian Fitzsimmons and I had a great eight-year run where a lot of people, a couple of people upset that they're breaking up the team of Ian Fitzsimmons and Freddie Coleman when it comes to Freddie and Fitzsimmons, but you get a chance to have a chance to move to do afternoon drive. You can't pass that up, especially on a national network. And Harry Douglas and I have been friends for more than a minute, and I remember the first time that we had him as a guest on our show on Freddie and Fitzsimmons a little more than three, three and a half years ago, and you could tell that he had it right away. And I'll never forget after the first time that we interviewed him, Ken. I said, you know what, Harry, whose job are you going to be taking either here or at the NFL Network? Because you really understood exactly his passion, his great intensity, but also the fact that he has such great energy as well and great knowledge and not just about football. So it was only a matter of time before we we're going to be co-workers and nobody could have anticipated that he and I would be doing a show together. But as much as I'm going to hate not being around Ian Fitzsimmons and doing a show with him, I'm extremely excited that to get a chance to move the afternoon drive have a chance to do that with Harry Douglas. Yeah, I'm, I'm disappointed because I'm happy for you in one respect, but I'm also disappointed because when I leave work here, I usually put you guys on uh, driving home, then the 15-minute drive I have to, to go home, and it's just not going to be the same now. I mean, I, you know, unfortunately, here in the Capital Region, uh, if people are going to want to listen to your show, it's going to have to be on the ESPN radio app because uh, the uh, local affiliate, uh, 104.5, the team has a, a local show on at that time. So, I, I, I mean, I'm happy for you, but at the same time, I'm sad that I'm not going to be able to you know, listen on the way home and you know even give you a little text message once in a while yeah nothing wrong with that and believe me i clearly understand it that shows exactly how much people had a great love and a great affinity for what we we're able to create during the night show because it can be very easy that you look at that time of the night and say okay not a lot of good radio is going on but we knew exactly what we were able to do and we knew exactly the kind of impact that we had on people so to have that reflected back on us by everybody out there when they found out the news that they were going to break up freddie fitzsimmons but ian gets a chance to move up and he does seven to ten he's going to start doing that on Tuesday with Amber Wilson right after me. So even though we're going to be apart, we're always going to be family for life. Ian and I, we're always going to be brothers for life. And that is something that is never going to change. I'm also disappointed as I never got a chance to be a guest host in that Friday time show when Ian would take some Fridays off. <laughs> yeah, you know, the line was long. So believe me, I, I thought about that long and hard about having you on to do something like that. But so many people, they couldn't wait for Ian Fitzsimmons not to be there on Friday because they were putting their feelings for more than a minute. It got to be a bloodbath at times that if somebody didn't to get a chance to co-host with me on Fridays and they were being their feelings about that so it's really cool that people felt that way about what we were able to do and felt that way they wanted, about wanting to replace Ian when he had to take off for doing college football and any other gig that he had going on. Yeah. Uh, do you approach the drive time show differently from the nighttime show? Uh, that's a really good question, and my answer to that, Ken, is no, because I'm going to be me no matter what, and all the times I had a chance to fill in on the morning show in the whole summer, whether with Jay Williams or with Amber Wilson, doing a couple of times with Ian Fitzsimmons and other people, I firmly believe that you have to bring you to the table. You can't be something or try to be someone else, no matter the time slot, and the reason I got a chance to be bumped up to that time slot was because I was going to be Freddie Coleman, and they knew that I was not going to be somebody else or try to be somebody else, because at that point, 
then what's the point of moving me for? You can leave me right where I was and have a chance to do that. So anytime I get a chance to do whatever show that is, I don't care if it's TV, I don't care if it's radio, you're always going to get 100% of Freddie Cohen because that's the only person I know how to be. And to be honest with you, that's the only person I should know how to be. And will we have the musical selections prior to your show? I mean, come on now. Is water wet? Is uh, the sky's blue? Of course, we're going to have the musical elections. And the good thing is that Harry is very well versed in music as well. So I think between the both of us and Shannon Penn, our producer, and Devin King, one of our co producers, the musical selections are going to be just as tight as they were when Freddie Fitzsimmons was going strong from 9 p.m. to 1 a.m. Eastern time. Beautiful, man. Beautiful. I love that. So let's talk some NFL. Another season upon us. And I think, I guess the big storyline, at least uh, for uh, the New York area, maybe, maybe around the the country here for NFL fans is Aaron Rodgers and the New York Jets uh, featured on Hard Knocks on HBO on Max the stream there and is this going to work I mean it just seems like it's Brett Favre 2 all over again with the Jets his way is going to be different. Aaron Rodgers is a lot healthier at this point of his career in his life than Brett Favre was, excuse me, when he got to the New York Jets. And let's be honest, the reason it didn't work with Brett Favre the first time around was because he suffered that shoulder arm injury and he tried to play through and he couldn't do it because the Jets' backups weren't up to snuff. But remember, he had a massive, massive win on the road in that Thursday night football game against the New England Patriots. And many people believe, okay, this Jets team is ready and then that injury just completely wrecked everything regarding that offense. If Aaron Rodgers is able to stay healthy. The Jets have a championship defense. They got a bunch of filthy McNasties on that side of the football. And if the offensive line, whatever gelling period that they need, if they can do that sooner than later, I don't think Nathaniel Hackett is going to put Aaron Rodgers as an offensive coordinator position, Ken, where he's going to hold the ball too long. I think we got a glimpse of that on Saturday night when they took on the New York Giants at preseason game. That ball was out of his hands quickly. What they call those little quick smoke routes where if you're off coverage, he gets out there to Garrett Wilson, you let him make a play. They ran a lot of the play action, the boot action, and you're going to have both your running backs. At least Dalvin Cook is going to be there week one if it's not him and Brees all together. So those kind of things are going to make sure that this Jets team with the kind of talent that they have in this football team, that as long as Aaron Rodgers stays healthy, they're definitely going to be a competitive team and maybe even more of a complete team in the AFC East as long as the offensive line does not spit the bit when it comes to the New York Jets. Yeah, the AFC East is going to be very interesting to watch. Obviously, the Buffalo Bills uh, won the division last year. Miami Dolphins made the playoffs and who knows what's going on with the new england pages they may be the team that's looking looking up at the rest of the division yeah, and you look at all four of those defenses, Ken, in that division, they all fought the capability of being top 15, top 20 defenses because New England, their defense is good. Miami's defense is good. Buffalo Bills, even though, even though Leslie Frazier, that defensive coordinator, they're still going to be good on defense. They went through a lot of injuries last year, even though they won't have Vaughn Miller for the first four games of the regular season because they put on the IR for him to be fully, fully ready when the season gets started. He's not going to be ready at the beginning. But all four of those defenses are going to make it a really competitive division. And with the Patriots, they can play some defense, and as long as Bill O'Brien can be that Bill O'Brien that the New England Patriots are getting to help their quarterback, Mac Jones, you could possibly see those four teams at the division where everybody has at least eight or nine wins. Yeah. Uh, across the uh, locker room, or the field there at MetLife Stadium with the New York Giants, uh, they had some issues just trying to get Sa- Saquon Barkley signed. They eventually got him signed. Uh, Daniel Jones, uh, we'll see what happens here. What do you think of the Giants? 
Well, this is now Daniel Jones's team because the New York Giants have told everybody who is somebody, Ken, that this is the guy that they want leading this offense. And it's going to be very interesting how that's going to work when Saquon Barkley had those career highs last year and that offense ran through him. But the New York Giants went in the offseason. They got Darren Waller, the wire receiver for the Las Vegas Raiders, to help out their quarterback and threaten the middle of the field. They draft Jalen Hyde in the third round of the Tennessee, and if he's right, he can top off a defense with the kind of speed and big playability that he's going to bring to the table. The New York Giants, that everybody knows, this is why we decided to give Daniel Jones $82 million in guaranteed money over the next couple of years because they believe that he can be that kind of quarterback and let's put more weapons on the outside around him. And unfortunately, Saquon Barkley, his long-term contract became collateral damage because it's always going to be a quarterback league from now on going in the National Football League. I can't wait to see how this is going to work. And a lot of people are talking about this, but the Giants' defense got a little bit better each and every week last year. If they can continue to trampoline off of that, especially in that division, you got to play good defense because Philadelphia will, so will Dallas, and so will the Washington Commanders, especially if Chase Young is healthy, coming back from a torn ACL. If they're not right on defense, they won't be able to win, in my opinion, a lot of those firefights where games are like 31 to 25 or 35 to 28. They're going to be on the wrong side of those games. If the defense can improve and Dan Jones get the ball to those playmakers and get anywhere from 24 to 27 touchdowns, this Giants team could be more of a contender in the AFC that right now is top heavy, where I think it's Philadelphia, San Francisco, Dallas, and everybody else. Maybe the Giants can close that gap a little bit if everything breaks right in their favor. Why has the running back position been been devalued? Boy, that's a good question, Ken. And from this is my opinion on it. They look at that position. So much you have to do where you run the ball between the tackles. You take a lot of hits. You take a lot of catches out of the backfield. You're involved in pass blocking and pass protection. And it's not just one guy. You have to split that up more than ever before. The days of the Emmett Smiths and the Barry Sanders and the Adrian Petersons, that's gone the way of Disco and the Dinosaur in the National Football League. So their thought process when it comes to general managers, when it comes to owners, when it comes to team presidents, even offensive coordinators are thinking, well, if we got two guys in that position, even if that guy's great for one year, that does mean it's going to be sustainable. There's no reason Saquon Barkley should be on a one-year deal. There's no way that Josh Jacobs or the Las Vegas Raiders should be on a one-year deal. There's no way for the Minnesota Vikings that they should have cut Dalvin Cook because they didn't want to pay him $8.6 million. And also, by the way, Jonathan Taylor was asked to seek a trade by the Indianapolis Colts, and he's barely two years removed from being the leading rusher in the National Football League. But because that position entails such physicality and one guy just can't do it anymore more more than anything else if you're going to give a guy a long-term contract you believe he's going to be right at the end of that contract a lot of nfl teams just like any other nfl team does not believe that's going to be the same thing with a running back especially after the rookie contract is said and done freddie coleman joining us here on the parting shots podcast what did you make of the uh trey lance trade by the 49ers of the cowboy that just seemed odd it does seem odd, but I've also been a big believer in this, Ken, that if you believe you have a mistake or if you made a mistake with a draft choice, you can't keep that mistake in the building. And I know they traded three first-round picks to get Trey Lance, but the San Francisco 49ers have shown if you're not producing to the way they believe you should produce, especially when they put, and let's be honest, they put really unfair expectations on the guy that played only one game over a 24-month period because of COVID-19 and playing in North Dakota State. That's asking a lot for a guy that looks the part in Trey Lance, but you didn't know if that was going to be able 
to transfer up to the National Football League. But the 49ers give them credit. They knew they had a Brock Purdy. And when Sam Darnold was able to beat out Trey Lance, that really, that really solidified everything for them. They said, look, if Brock Purdy is not going to be the same guy we saw in the first year where he went 9-0 in the regular season and 1-1 one one in the playoffs, if he's not that guy, well, we got a guy, Sam Darnold, that's playing in the National Football League. And they said, We're just, we can't just keep Trey Lance here because now we're retarding any kind of progress that he is hoping to make, and that's not going to happen here. So, yeah, it was definitely odd not only to trade, but also the fact that he was traded to the Dallas Cowboys that gave a fourth-round pick in 2024 for Trey Lance. If anything, that was more odd, the team that traded for Trey Lance, more than the San Francisco 49ers moving on from him barely three years after taking him and giving the three first-rounders for him. Yeah, I mean, I'm still shocked that Sam Darnold got the starting job with the 49ers. I mean, that just, that's, I mean, he couldn't, he struggled with the Jets, struggled with the Panthers, and now he's going to try to lead the team that almost got to the Super Bowl. That just seems kind of weird. Well, here's the deal with that, and it's a fair point that you make when it comes to that, Ken, but that offense, that system is quarterback-friendly. And remember this, the San Francisco 49ers told us all we need to know about Brock Purdy because when Jimmy Garoppolo gets injured in that game against the Miami Dolphins, they didn't dial back anything. They didn't decide to just run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. They let him throw the ball around that park 30, 30 times in that game. And I said, man, how much faith did they have in him to say, you know what, we're going to throw the ball around because Miami's going to try to stop our run, and we believe that guy can make plays and he did make plays throwing the football and it wasn't just in that game either they told me all I needed to know about how they felt about Brock Purdy and they even told us even more so in the offseason when they talked about more about his progress what he was doing to get there to be there for week one as a starting quarterback than what Trey Lance was supposed to do to try to challenge for that job because early on Ken they said well Trey Lance and Brock Purdy are going to challenge for the job and the more the offseason went along the more that conversation stopped and began and ended with Brock Purdy being a starting quarterback that offense that system with Kyle Shanahan has always been quarterback friendly. Heck, Jimmy Garoppolo is a bad throw away from winning a championship in that offense with San Francisco 49ers beating the Kansas City Chiefs. So they know what they have and what they do and how they go about it. And Kyle Shanahan has shown that he can be that quarterback whisperer. Look what he did with Trey Lance early on a little bit, but definitely what he did with Brock Purdy last year when he was the last pick in the first and last pick in the draft and became that kind of player with the San Francisco 49ers replacing two quarterbacks. Yeah, you mentioned the Chiefs, and of course they're the defending Super Bowl champions on Unfortunately, because I'm an Eagles fan. <laughs> uh, but uh, but uh, they, they, Eric Bieniemy was a longtime offensive coordinator there, was left to go to Washington. I mean, how do you think this will affect things? As long as Patrick Mahomes is alive and breathing, you're going to be okay. And that's not to minimize what Eric Bieniemy did as an offensive coordinator helping Andy Reid. But Eric Bieniemy had to get away from that if he was going to get a rightful chance to become an NFL head coach, which is something that has been on his dream list, wanting to do that. And he's more than qualified and more than capable to have a chance to do that and be an NFL head coach. But number 15, Patrick Mahomes, he's just a quarterback savant where you can put something in front of him and he's going to figure it out. You give him a game plan, he's going to make that game plan better. And I'll never get the conversations around him last year that what is he going to do without Tyreek Hill? And I said, y'all had that backwards. What is Tyreek Hill going to do without him? And he still produced. But his impact was lessened because he did not have a guy throwing him the football the way that Patrick Mahomes was able to do that, especially after Tua Tungvaluwa got injured and he was knocked out for the season. Certain guys just had that it factor about them that not only will they get better, but they make everybody else better. So believe me, Eric Bieniemy is a loss for the Kansas City Chiefs. But they bring a guy, Matt Nagy, who was a part of that offensive system before he got the Chicago Bears job. He's not going to mess up something when you got a guy like that that's a generational quarterback and an offense that's as good as we've seen in the National Football League in the last 25 to 30 years. Who's a team that uh, we should keep an eye on that's under the radar? 
I'll give you two. I'll give you one in the AFC. Keep an eye on Jacksonville. That defense is going to play a little bit better. And now we saw Trevor Lawrence was able to do post-Urban Meyer. It's amazing what happens, Ken, when you get a quarterback that's that good and you give him a coach like Doug Peterson to get the best out of him. So that's a team that should have no problems winning the AFC South. They won't be as beat up as Kansas City playing in their division or the Baltimore Ravens playing in their division with Cincinnati or anybody in the AFC East, whether it's Buffalo, Miami, or the New York Jets. That Jacksonville Jaguars team may be the healthiest team because their battles won't be as much in a division where I think they're going to be the only team that's going to play above 500 football. So I'll, I'll keep an eye on that team. And also remember this, they get Steven Ridley after being out for a year of suspension. When that guy is right, he's going to be. He's an elite wide receiver in the National Football League. So that's one there. I'll give you another one in the NFC. People are sleeping on the Minnesota Vikings because we seem to forget that this team, I know they had all those 12 score, 12 wins by one score, but they were a 13 and 4 team in the National Football League. And yeah, they turned out to be paper tigers and they don't have Dalvin Cook. But everybody's talking about the Detroit Lions and they're going to win that division and the Chicago Bears are going to raise up a little bit under Justin Fields. And the Vikings are like, okay, okay, keep sleeping on us, okay. Don't be surprised they become an 11 win team again and win that division and maybe be a little bit better down the stretch and clutch situation with their quarterback than they were last year, even though they went 13 and 4 and ran away and hit in that division. I'll wrap this up with a baseball question. There's not going to be any baseball postseason in New York. How shocked are you about that? Extremely, but it goes to show you that more than ever before in these modern times, Ken, sports are a second-by-second deal. It's not game-by-game. It's not week-by-week. It's not year-by-year. If you told anybody who was somebody that both New York teams would not be in the playoffs and the Baltimore Orioles would be in first place in the AL East, I didn't realize that Jim Palmer and Eddie Murray were part of that baseball team now, but they've been able to do it. But they're a fun team to watch. If you told anybody that the two New York teams and the San Diego Padres would be out of the running for the playoffs, we just said you were crazy. Yeah. But that's the beauty of Major League Baseball in that always, there's always going to be a team, there's always going to be a player that you look up and say, where in the heck did they come from? And for this year, and even though Baltimore played well last year, nobody thought they'd be in first place or near first place in American League East. Nobody saw the Cincinnati Reds coming, what they've been able to do. Nobody saw what the Milwaukee Brewers have been able to do in their National League Central. So there have been some really terrific stories. And unfortunately, the New York Mets, at least they cut bait with all those big-name players and really decided to start over and bring up guys from their farm system that is pretty rich, but if you're the New York Yankees, do you go out there and show, hey, Otani, do you, have, do you go out to somebody else because your farm system is the kind of farm system that can fortify your team, have the kind of season we've seen for the Yankees in 2023? Yeah, well, I'm, my, my Phillies are getting ready for it for Red October, so I'm happy for that. <laughs> <laughs> Freddie, my friend, I appreciate doing this. I always love having you on. It's always a great chance to catch up with you. Good luck with the uh, new show, and uh, we'll be listening, and we'll talk soon. I always appreciate the time and hanging out with you and Ken. You take care and be well and God bless my man. Thanks, Fred. That's Freddie Cole. We'll be back to wrap up the podcast and have the latest winner in a Daily Gazette's auto racing contest in just a moment. If you really want to know what's going on in your community, you have to read the Daily Gazette. We don't take a side. We're right down the middle, and we're going to get to the truth. 
our reporters and photographers are out in the field bringing you updates every minute with trust, accuracy, and integrity from the first page to the last page, independent, probing journalism. We're finding out what's going on in the community where nobody else is covering. It's who we are. It's what we do. Hi, this is RPI men's hockey head coach Dave Smith. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette sports editor Ken Schott. Back to wrap up the podcast. The Week 27 winner in the Daily Gazette's auto racing contest was Mary Campbell of Latham with 45 points. Mary wins a $50 ShopRite gift card. Congratulations, Mary. The VIP winner was Jerry Peel of Frankensons with 20 points. I'll announce the auto racing contest winner's name, and that winner's name will appear in Friday's Daily Gazette. To play, go to dailygazette.com and click on the auto racing contest banner. The pro football season is here, and that means it's time to play the Daily Gazette's You Pick 'em Football Contest. Predict the winners of each week's games, and you'll have a chance to win a $100 Hanover gift card. To play, go to dailygazette.com and click on the You Pick 'em Football banner. And you can look for my picks at dailygazette.com. Just because the COVID-19 mandates are easing, that does not mean you should relax. Be vigilant. If you have not gotten vaccinated or received a booster shot, please do so. Do it for yourself, do it for your family, and do it for your friends. That wraps up another edition of the Party Shots podcast. I want to thank Mike McAdam, Dennis Wazak Jr., and Freddie Coleman for coming on the show. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me at X, formerly Twitter, and threads at Slapshots. The views expressed on the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of the Daily Gazette Company. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of the Daily Gazette Company. I'm Daily Gazette sports editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Parting Shots podcast studio in Margaritaville, good day, good sports, and farewell to Jimmy Buffett. Rest in peace. Watching the sun bake All of those tourists Covered with oil Strumming my six string On my front porch swing Smell those shrimp there